0: What is up, everyone? Obviously, as you probably noticed, the perimeter has been in hibernation for a little bit. Very excited to announce that Adam will be joining Dan Dickow on a brand new twice-a-week podcast covering all things Gonzaga basketball, Gonzaga Nation. So follow along on Instagram at gonzaganationSI on YouTube and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Make sure you subscribe and turn on notifications so you know when each episode drops. Thank you so much again for your patience. We hope to be back for season two of The Perimeter, but until then, here is a preview of the latest episode of Gonzaga Nation with Adam Morrison and Dan Dickow.
1: Gonzaga Nation SI. I'm one of your two hosts, Dan Dickow, alongside Adam Morrison. Last week, Adam hosted back on as the host this week, so I'm going to be leading the conversation. Great to have you back in studio, Adam.
0: Yeah, it's nice. Nice to be back home.
1: So, two road games. And the, the crazy thing is, for Gonzaga, it was they were only their second and third true road games yeah. of the season. Can you remember a, a time ever that it took that long to get deep into road trips?
0: No, I think it's kind of the philosophy's changed a little bit, especially just in college basketball as a whole. You kind of, you play tougher games, but if you're going to, two two really good programs, you're kind of go neutral, and then you can kind of throw a bone to your fans. And I think that's what the Vegas deal was for, for the UCLA and um, uh, Duke games. And then obviously, I think Texas was on our deal last year. So, you know, we could argue that there was a high-level road game uh to come up come about that was supposed to happen it will happen next year i think but uh yeah it's been a while since uh you get into february and you haven't played a road game and then the first one at santa clara was a road game but there was 25 percent capacity yeah. so it was really dead in there
1: yeah well it's funny because uh you were traveling off on the road mm-hmm. with tom hudson yeah. to go to san diego i was actually traveling home from a road broadcast yeah and we passed cross paths in the seattle airport um when you travel yeah what goes in your carry-on your backpack is there something that you can't travel without uh
0: i'm on ipad and watch i usually download movies so yeah. that's i kind of do that um yeah there's nothing crazy you know and then yeah i'm just kind of pretty simple i i never check a bag ever no matter where i'm going i just have that anxiety of not getting it back or blah 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 yeah. i've had bad experiences i think everybody really? has yeah everybody's lost the bag yeah. or
1: well especially because usually yours are two and a half day trips so you can squeeze it in if you forget something there's a walgreens <laughs> down the street it's
0: true and then also like even if we go to like when we went to vegas for seven days i can fit that all in a carry-on i mean it's pretty wow. you can be crafty and then also too yeah it's just like go find a nordstrom rack or something yeah you know, you know how it is that's that is crafty. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean I, I'm the same way. I don't check a bag unless yeah. it's more than
0: a three day trip. Yeah, but interesting. It's always shoes that are the yeah. biggest ones that get you.
1: Well, and then if you if you work out, that's where I get the the hang up. Yeah, like if I'm to, a, am I going to go work
0: out on this trip? Yeah.
1: Then I have to have extra clothes and the shoes, yeah. but. Well, we kind of started off topic, but it's good to kind of get random at times. So yeah, absolutely. Back to the road trip at hand that past week.
0: USD is better than I expected. So did what I. What did you see? I like their big, uh, The um, what's the kid's name, Soar's. Uh, well, he's a double hyphenated name, Soar's the last brown, I think. Um, I thought he was very good. He was athletic. I think he was from Pitt. Um, started off the game good. I mean, he had two fadeaway jumpers. Um I like uh, the Erlington kid was good, too, as well. Um, so I think that they have uh, the right pieces, um, you know, and it's just tough running into kind of the buzzsaw that Gonzaga is. But I think Sam Scholl has, you know, that program going in the right direction. Um, he didn't allow us to shoot threes, so he was going over the top of ball screens, and our guys made, you know, And Nembhard started the game making, I think, uh, three mid-range shots, kind of floaters which if you're playing, um, you know, you obviously don't want to give up baskets. But the the, the previous game before with Portland, when we shot 41 and made 18, broke the uh, McCarthy record, um, I think that was the right strategy. So I was fairly impressed because they hung around for uh, quite a long time. And then uh, we obviously broke away in that second half. But uh, I was impressed with, you know, a team that was finished almost dead last and it's now six and four in league so a decent team
1: yeah I, I agree with you with the job Sam Scholl's done yeah. and he got that job under interesting circumstances yeah uh, their other coach got fired and then he took over as an interim and, and yeah. he's run with it and done a nice job plus you got to pull for him because he's a Washington guy yeah I, yeah. I think Gig Harbor uh, yeah. I think is where he's from so um, Chet Holmgren was unbelievable it started in the usd game it yeah. continued on with the byu game did you see a different approach
0: from him or do you see just a guy getting even more comfortable on this last road trip uh, i think maybe the approach is a little bit different i think he's just more aggressive as a whole i think he's kind of looking for his shots more and i think he feels the freedom to take bad ones that are within his deal you know what i'm saying but um you know and then i think uh you know, playing against that other big I mentioned that uh, was like size, I think he kind of took it as a personal challenge to kind of show that he's not just, you know, dominating shorter players, I guess yeah. if that makes sense. But he was going inside, and then um, he went on that eleven zero run by himself um, just off trail threes in that trail situation. It's just so hard to to cover, especially for a big that's never, um, you know, used to um, guarding on the perimeter. You're always used to being around the rim, so... I've been really impressed with just his growth as a player. And it's nice to see, obviously, but you can see, all right, this is why he's an NBA top you know, five pick or whatever, whoever, whatever, yeah. whatever board you want to read at certain time. But you're like, yeah, like you understand that his skill set is so unique that uh, he's going to help somebody at the next level. And, and um, he's starting to show that, you know, game to game now.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I always, coming into this season, you watch the highlights, you know, on on YouTube and all the Mm. different analyst sites, and you're like, yeah, he's a top five pick. See him in person, I was like, he's a top three pick. Mm -hmm. And then you start watching Banchero and Jabari Smith a little closer. I don't, I I liked Jabari Smith, but I really think it's a two-man race for the number one pick Mm -hmm. and Banchero and and Chet but I think the big thing is who gets the pick and it's so yeah. many so many people get hung up about he's the first pick well who has the pick has what the if pick? they already yeah. have a, a slash a four slash five that yeah. stretches it then if that's the case you go Banchero and put him at the three yeah um when when you talk about you know he kind of squeezed off an extra shot or he looks more aggressive at what point in your career at Gonzaga Did you flip the switch and know that you could take a bad shot and not come out?
0: Uh, That's a good question. I think probably halfway through my freshman year, I think I was kind of established as being just the second unit scorer, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was kind of allowed to take bad ones because they've seen me make them in practice. Um, But early on, it it is, uh, you know, it's not scary, but you have to have a lot of confidence and know you're going to make it if you're going to take those type of shots. And we've seen some of our guys – go through those you know stages of okay he's a really good player but he's getting short minutes um, because you know they don't trust him from the sideline yet and so I think halfway through my freshman year after I had some good games that I kind of knew all right these are my minutes Um, if I play good they'll be extended by a couple if I don't I'm probably not coming out either way Um, it's part of the normal rotation but yeah it 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 takes a little bit to kind of get over that and and the fear of being subbed out and not getting put back in
1: that's a big fear for a lot of players. Yeah. And I unfortunately I never overcame that at times in my NBA career. Mm-hmm. But a quick story on that with you. Because mm-hmm. I was in college, you were a high school kid, would come to play and, and you you see a kid's skill set, you see the way they play. The first time I knew you were going to be okay at the college level was I was watching it, uh, watching you guys play on TV. Mm-hmm. It was at Madison square garden. Yeah, It might've been your first game yep. or second game and you got the outlet or you got the rebound or whatever. And it was literally left side, like four dribbles, sprint dribbles, and then just shot a fadeaway on the baseline. Yeah. I was like,
0: same Adam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I was lucky I made it cause it was a bad shot in the context, but, uh, Derek Ravi used to always laugh at me because he said I would dribble up the left side of the floor with my right hand <laughs> all the time, and I said I did that play too because I was I didn't like trust my left hand at that time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like I said they they saw me shoot those shots. So after a while, they they there's not a fear from the sideline. Well, that's a bad shot. So I go, well, that's what he kind of takes. Um, but again, you have to make them. Yeah. I know that sounds like narcissistic, but like, if you don't make them, then they really look like bad shots. So like, um, I think halfway through my freshman year, that's when I, I kind of knew that, you know, getting subbed out for minor mistakes or bad shots, wasn't going to happen. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. you kind of have to just learn that. And then, I mean, you had a whole redshirt year to kind of go through that, you know what I'm saying? So then you got to see, they got to see you fully like, okay, you know what you're doing. You can take pull-ups in yep. the break which nobody took kind of in that era mm-hmm. right unless there's only one guy now it's like if you're open to shoot it you know yeah. most guys can shoot it so um it does t- it definitely takes a while to uh, get over that fear for sure
1: yeah no and and that is a hang-up for a lot of players yeah that doesn't allow them to have success yeah at any level college or the pros yeah. is you kind of have to have that Effort mentality absolutely like i put in the work i put in the time i can knock this down i can make this play but too many guys overthink it and don't go for it
0: yeah you kind of yeah you have to be able to uh you know uh extend your um parameters of fear i guess is the best way to put it or just like get over those certain things especially like point guards because you have to be able to make not risky passes, but passes that could get stolen. But if you make the play, obviously it's the right play. Mm-hmm. But if you're just a ball swing kid, then you don't really do anything that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, or you don't flatten the defense, or anything like that. So that's why, you know, even like a Nolan Hickman, you can see, you know, they tell him to turn the corner, mm-hmm. you know, come to a swivel, jump stop, and hit the post. You know, you can shoot a bad pull up or a bad three, quote unquote, bad three a game, and because they know how skilled he is. You know, but at first he wasn't doing that. But they've probably seen him practice time and time again. It's like, okay, you're allowed to take these. Don't take a bunch of them. But if you and then because on a coach's standpoint, if he gets going, then you you know obviously you have an asset on your bench in mm-hmm. a game. You know, and you can extend a lead or whatever. Second, you can score all those things. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's a difficult uh, thing to overcome, and some guys don't do it, um, especially at, at Gonzaga with. Uh, you know, Fuey sometimes is a little bit hard on freshmen, just trying to get them a good pl- to be a good player. Well, you got to be a good player.
1: You got to fit. Yes, and then there's that uniqueness of fitting, but then expanding your game to show that you can really make plays. Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely. Well, cool. Let's move on to BYU. Yeah, that was a drubbing. It was an absolute, uh, yeah, woodshed type of deal. <laughs> it was, it was, it was all of that. Um, I. I don't know what's going on in that locker room or in that program or, but there's something because they've just fallen off the cliff. um, Yeah, completely. I think that's the fourth straight loss all in WCC. Um, So yeah, it's, it's tough because if they keep going the way they are, they're not going to be in the NCAA tournament. No. And that's a program
1: that's pride. They they pride themselves of being in the NCAA tournament Mm -hmm. and, Challenging for titles, and you're right. Four in a row, right now. I think as of this morning, Jewel Linardi had them still in. Yeah. Um, uh, well, they're quad- but They've got some work to do. Yeah. Um, you know, they can't lose another regular season game. In my opinion, no, it's looking bad. But well, I
0: think the, what was the stat I heard? I think they're like nine and six, in quad and quad one, and quad two, or twelve and six. Maybe nine and six or twelve and six. But like, so they have good quad one wins, and quad two wins are okay, right? Mm-hmm. So that was the counter argument because we were on the same discussion on the radio broadcast about are they in if they lose, and I said no. But then Huddy was like, "Well, if you really look at it, they they technically should yeah. be," and it's kind of crazy because, I mean, the Santa Clara loss is is a quote-unquote bad loss, no disrespect to them, and then Pacific is a bad loss.
1: The Pacific one is the killer. Yeah. Like, BYU, they can't lose to Pacific if they play them again. I don't know the schedule off the top of my head. Or Pepperdine, they could not yeah. lose to either one of those. Or Portland. Yeah. But Chet Holmgren made another step in that game yeah. when I watched it. It's, it's uh, you know, and I don't want to keep going on the, the Chet topic, but BYU, one of their struggles is they didn't have the size – to physically attack him yeah. and Timmy like they've had in years past yeah. is that is that the same thing that you saw?
0: Yeah, I think uh, the, the Ali Atiki was just kind of a bruiser type player. So skill wise, you know, when they threw it to him, we were just playing him straight up. Um, and then I think um, inside, Mobley he struggled against our guys. And then you know, when you just get a matchup issue like Chad, it's, it's so hard. Just like the San Diego game, you know, the kid that uh terrell brown soars was his name he was i think he has like 170 career blocks in his career not just at san diego not at san diego but and he couldn't guard him because he's not used to being away from the rim mm-hmm. and that's what chet does yeah. um is he spaces you out and then he brings your best you know uh, rim protector away from the basket and then it opens up the, all the other lanes but you know, I think Chet, what was his line? 20 and 17 or something along those lines he's, with like five blocks. Ridiculous. And I think it was on like 9 to 12 or 10 to 14 yeah. or something, you know, something highly efficient. And so it's just really, he's a really tough cover. And, um you know, like I've said in previous episodes, he's tougher than people think. Yeah. And which I've been impressed with. Like, I think guys come in and they just naturally go, okay, he's thin bodied. I'm going to punk him and that's going to be the end of the, his night and he doesn't back down. He kind of delivers the, the first blow. So he had another fantastic game and um, you know, I actually saw a couple of NBA scouts there I ran into underneath and um, you know, so it was a nice time for him to have a good game. Obviously they're watching more than one game and Yeah, I've seen him before, but like that really showed his versatility around the rim um, you know, blocking shots and then, you know, 17 rebounds like, and he could have stayed in for, there was three extra minutes that yeah. he got pulled off the floor. That I'm always like, phew, let him get a twenty and 20. You know, like there's not a lot of those that happen. Yeah, um, you know, especially in this program, he may challenge
1: a triple double again at some point because he could do it with blocks or he could do it with assists. Yeah,
0: I've always wondered too, and we'll have to look this up and, and bring it up in the next episode. Like how close he is to the single season for uh, blocks too.
1: He's, I believe, I read uh somewhere or i looked at the stats is if he's at his current pace it's going to be close Close. it'll be dependent on how many how deep gonzaga goes in the ncaa tournament because they've had a couple games postponed or canceled with covid so the the amount of games might impact him but uh great episode let's wrap up with one question from a reader and they asked is byu or saint mary's a bigger bigger rival in the last five six years
0: that's a really good question because every time I always think of this and this is going to sound bad but like a true test for the league I always think Saint Mary's right away and that's not a knock on BYU and that's not not a knock because we've beaten them um you know pretty handily just as we described but I think BYU has seven or eight wins I think they're 22 and 7 or 23 and 7 all time um, in the in that span is shorter than the St. Mary's deal, so I, it, it's really a coin toss to me. It'd be St. Mary's. That's just my personal opinion, but I know BYU is a bigger brand and they view themselves in a higher light than I think uh, a St. Mary's would as a just a brand. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Kind of a national deal or whatever, however you want to describe it. So I don't know. It's a good question. I my battles were with St. Mary, so I'm a little bit biased, I guess, in that. What what's your thoughts on it? I'm going to go with St.
1: Mary's, yeah. and I think a lot of it is because I know BYU's been in the league now for about 10 years, but yeah. it still feels to me like they're they're in the league, but they're not out, especially recently because the announcement of them going to the Big 12. Yeah. So I would have to say St. Mary's. I, I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that Randy Bennett has been there for you know, 19, 20 years yeah. now. Um, so good question. Appreciate it. Yeah. So for Gonzaga Nation SI, Adam Morrison – and Dan Dickow have been breaking it down. We will be back with another episode shortly.